0: Last week in our study in Acts, we left off with the Holy Spirit telling Philip the Evangelist in verse 29, go over and join this chariot. Uh, The chariot was carrying an Ethiopian government official in charge of the treasury of his country, and verse 30 said, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked Do you understand what you are reading? Now last week we saw that Philip really didn't probably have to run very fast to catch up to the chariot. A light trot would have sufficed, maybe even just a brisk stroll, as chariot simply means wagon in Greek. And this was in all probability just an ox cart carrying the official. So, to the question... Do you know what you are reading? The Ethiopian replied, How can I unless someone guides me? So, verses 22 through 28 that we're covering today for our passage picks up from that question. How can I unless someone guides me? So, starting in verse 32. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, before his shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Now, I've taught you all that uh, in this church that Judaism does not read Isaiah 53, from which this reading is taken, in their yearly liturgical reason, re- readings in synagogue. They are unfamiliar with this passage. Therefore, in fact, they are unfamiliar with all of the Messianic prophecies in Isaiah. Uh, in one of my devotions at our prayer group, I printed up and passed out the official liturgical readings of, for all Jews. Uh, didn't matter if you're Reformed or Orthodox, it, it applied to all Jewish readings in the synagogue. And uh, conveniently, this reading and all readings that cover any prophecy. Um, about the life of Jesus or the prophecies he fulfilled are left out. They do not preach any of those things. So my question today is, did the Jews ever see the book of Isaiah as Messianic prophecy? And I have previously told you that they always had. But this week I was on a, a respected website, and they said, no, this is the first time this was ever preached. The Jews did not see... Isaiah 53 as messianic prophecy this is this may be the first time that this is preached in the New Testament though but the understanding of the meaning of Isaiah 53 is anything but new so let's take a little dive into the book of Isaiah the prophet Isaiah lived from about 800 to 700 BC he lived to be an old man before his grandson Manasseh managed to cut him in half for various reasons that we're not going to go into here. We can solve those. He is the, the prophet that we were talking about on, I think, Thursday uh, Wednesday evening that went about Israel naked for three years preaching to the people about their own nakedness in their spiritual devotion. There were other prominent prophets... In Israel at the same time, among them Amos, Hosea, and Micah. Israel was lousy with prophets during this time, just ask any of their kings and they'll say, well we're lousy with prophets, uh, uh, because the prophets were calling the unworthy kings back to repentance. Isaiah is believed to be of royal blood, very uh, famously he says, says in the uh, I saw Uzziah sitting on his throne he's believed to be a first cousin a cousin of Uzziah for instance he has perhaps the best use of Jewish language written in the Bible they say this is such high uh, Hebrew and so flowery and so descriptive possibly the best writer in Hebrew in the Bible The book of Isaiah's prophecies is called the vision of Isaiah. Okay, not the visions. It's the vision of Isaiah. It is of a whole. It is one narrative, seamless, most importantly, about the constellation of Israel, the Messiah. That's the most important theme in this book the vision of the Isaiah, of Isaiah of the Messiah of Jesus fully encompasses his birth his ministry his suffering and death and his overcoming victory now the thing about this is you know when i prepare a sermon i try to go from point a to point z well to point c a to c in an order but but in the vision of Isaiah, you might have something about the birth of Jesus in chapter 6 and then in 41. You might have about his ministry in the same. It is spread throughout. For instance, <laughs> I'm laughing because I found a comprehensive list of of messianic prophecies and it's I hit print okay and it's like 30 pages we're not going to read the 30 pages but but you find the pre-existence of the Messiah meaning uh, the Messiah would be from everlasting to everlasting you find it in Isaiah 9 and you find it in Isaiah 48 that Messiah would be God is found in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 40. That the Messiah, uh, well, anyway, we won't go into all of these. There's a lot of them, by the way. I and mean, these aren't all Isaiah. This is Psalms. This is Micah. This is all sorts of stuff. But all of these prophecies in minute detail were written, as I said, probably starting about 739 is what they think. B.C. seven hundred and thirty-nine years before Jesus' death, seven hundred and sixty years from his uh, from his death. To put that in perspective, and I always like to do, the United States has been a country for less than two hundred and fifty years. That's one third the time span between Isaiah's prophecies and the birth of Christ. That is a long time. Christopher Columbus made his voyage uh, to this hemisphere more recently than that. Okay? Uh, Magna Carta, ancient history, was about the same amount of time apart. And yet, the Messiah Jesus' life, ministry, suffering, and death were covered completely in exquisite detail that long before his birth. Now, I fully understand that, um, that that is how we view the book of Isaiah today. Uh, we see Jesus We see Jesus throughout it, right? We, we see it when it says, oh, uh, Bethlehem, you know, where, you know, we see Jesus in Bethlehem. We see him when it says that the prophet will be from Nazareth. We see it constantly. Did the Jews see Isaiah the same way Contemporaneous, or it's not even contemporaneous with Jesus, but did the ancient Jewish scholars see him the same way? And the answer is yes, they did. Uh, the Jerusalem Talmud, which predated the Babylonian Talmud, and sort of competed with it. Uh, Jerusalem Talmud obviously was the Hebrew Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud was for those written by those taken away in captivity to Babylon. But the Jerusalem uh, Talmud uh, clearly shows that Jewish scholars of the day saw that Isaiah was talking about the Messiah, not only in the birth prophecies and the triumphant overcoming prophecies of the Messiah uniting Israel and taking them triumphantly in the future, they also saw the Messiah as the suffering servant, specifically. They knew from that, that the Messiah would die at the hands of men. They knew that the Messiah would die. What they couldn't do was reconcile the two prophecies. They couldn't reconcile the suffering servant who died with the conquering Messiah who would usher in God's kingdom. They didn't know how those two went together. So they decided that there were two messiahs the first messiah and then the second coming of the messiah the first of course being the suffering servant who would die for the sins of israel and then the second one the victorious uh, messiah the one who would redeem israel and defeat israel's enemies now this brings us to our uh, friend the ethiopian and philip the evangelist today now, verse 32. Now, the passage he was reading was this. Now, remember, of course, that Scripture was not divided into chapter and verse until about 1508 and the Geneva Bible. Before then, Book of Isaiah. And back then, it would be a scroll. You would scroll up and scroll down. Hey, we still do that today on our phones, don't we? So, but we, they would scroll up and scroll down. It was very handy. But until that day, you might just say, as Isaiah said, and quote from anywhere in the scripture, because there were no dividing numbers. Or even just, the prophets said, because all the prophets were deemed to be true, and you didn't necessarily specify between one prophet and the other. But even when just quoting a few lines, you were bringing to mind... The entire passage. Jesus, when he was announcing his ministry, when he was asked to read in the synagogue, pulled out the, the scroll of Isaiah and opened to what we call Isaiah 61. But Isaiah 61, he this is what he read. He said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Anyway, this is to point you to the whole thing. And and what this is about is God demanding righteousness in Israel. Uh, he is saying, uh, for I, the Lord, love justice, I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of all people and all who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the offspring the Lord has blessed. Anyway, by quoting that, he was actually bringing this whole section to mind and I want to say without any backup that that is what we see here that they give us a snippet of what he was reading in verses 13 through 15, but he's reading from Isaiah 53. The Ethiopian, they quote in this passage that we're reading, about four verses. But here is what he was quoting from in full. And remember that there are no divisions in their Bible back then. We are reading from Isaiah 52, verse 13 through all of 53, and it goes as such. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouth because of him. For that... Which has not been told them um, they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the Lord of the the arm of the Lord been revealed, for he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the entire passage that Jewish liturgy ends just before where we started and resumes Just after we finished. And the Ethiopian eunuch then asks possibly the most important question any person can ask Who is this talking about? Is what the Ethiopian eunuch wants to know. Who is this man? This question is one that the Jews of Jesus' day and today as well have chosen to ignore. Who is this person that Isaiah is describing? Jewish scholars of today say that it is describing the nation of Israel. That the Jewish nation as a whole is the suffering servant of the world. And history could give you the idea that this explanation could be correct. Because throughout its history, Israel has suffered from the time of Moses in Egypt to Babylonian captivity to crossing of the desert for 40 years to any number of attacks upon Israel you can look and see that they were attacked and many times for standing against the religions of the the pagan religions of their day they were despised because of that Christians will take up the gauntlet later on and be despised for not worshiping other gods themselves. But Ethiopian states, this is all Jews sought. Who is this verse talking about? The writer himself or some other person? And as Philip answers, this may be where he gives the teaching that had never fully been articulated before. And this comes in verses 34 and 35. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opens his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now the Jews knew it was about the Messiah, right? But the Jews didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Philip and the early Christians obviously did. And it is Philip here who puts this together with the suffering servant. I, I can't say for the first time, it's the first time in scripture that it's done, but Philip is, puts it together here and explains the good news by pointing out Isaiah 53 and its relevance to Jesus. This is the truth that Judaism is hiding by avoiding 53 in their liturgical reason uh, readings. Jews unfamiliar with this passage see Jesus Christ clearly in this passage and assume it is from the New Testament what they consider the Christian Bible. Therefore they do not want to read it. But Philip shows the Ethiopian from the man's own copy of scripture, whether it be on a papyrus or a scroll, however he was carrying this scripture. Philip takes his own Copy of the man's own copy of Scripture and shows him what it says. And I am told that by uh, Messianic Christians, and I've read this a long time ago, that the best way that they minister to Jews is say, "Give me your Bible and let me read to you and read from the person's own personal Bible, not my Bible, not just opening to the Old Testament, but get their Bible." and read their own Bible back to them. And this is what Philip does here. Now, it wasn't as important when Philip did it as for us, because there was no New Testament. There was only one Bible. There was the Tanakh. There was no Christian. At this point, not a single word of the Christian New Testament, as the Jews would say, has been written at this time. The, the Christians are still a thoroughly jewish religion they all they know is judaism and jesus christ and i have a suspicion that if you if you know jesus christ you know what you need to know and he shows them out of their bible out of their own copy of scriptures that only one person jesus of nazareth fits all the prophecies of not only Isaiah, which is what he was showing them from, but everything. Only Jesus of Nazareth in all of human history fit and fulfilled the description and prophecy of Isaiah. Today, 2,000 years farther down the timeline, you know, we're looking back now, Jesus is still the only person who fits the description found in Messianic prophecy. The only person who could be the suffering servant, the only person who can be the victorious Messiah, the only Messiah who is also God, because the Jews also knew that Messiah would be God. And upon that teaching, that instruction by Philip on the Tanakh, the Ethiopian not just understood, not only understood who Jesus was, as many unbelievers do, you know, it says demons believe and tremble. Simon, the magician, believed and was baptized, it said. But anyway, he came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, the triumphant Messiah, And upon that belief, the Ethiopian asked perhaps the second most important question a person can ask. Verse 36 says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? If this is not the response of anyone on hearing the gospel truth, as it is called you have to wonder if the person truly believes anyone with the love of God and true true faith in Jesus would respond just as the Ethiopian official did here's water can I be baptized now now none of you have verse 37 I don't know if you noticed this but we go from 36 to 38 in this reading but I'll tell you what verse 37 says And uh, 37 is not in our Bible because it's not in the um, best translations of the oldest languages. I just saw a very interesting thing on how we got our Bible and where the different versions of the Bible came from and what what manuscript stream they came from. But I'm certain that verse 37 is not in any of your Bibles. And it is it has Philip saying, after he says, is there, is there any reason I cannot be baptized? Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Now, it's not in our Bibles, so we don't truly know if it's Scripture or if somebody inserted it as a, uh, as a commentary. But it's not a bad rule of thumb at that. Uh, baptism upon true belief. If that was the only way you could be baptized, it would perhaps keep the Simon the magicians out of the church, or any false teacher for that matter, if they were only baptized upon true belief. However, that's not the way this works. Verse 38 ends the passage saying, And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And just an aside, you'll note the mode of baptism here. Okay? Uh, as a Reformed Baptist, I'm going to point out that uh, full immersion of an adult believer is the only method in Scripture. Okay? Other faith traditions assume something that is not in Scripture. But full immersion And I did a study on this a while back. Living water, meaning running water, a stream or a river, is the preferred method for uh, early Christianity. If you did not have running water, a a still water, a pool, a lake would suffice. Uh, Not preferred. Running water, you'll notice that John the Baptist was... In the uh, baptizing in the Jordan River. That's where Jesus went to be baptized. I'm not saying that's the only way. But a lake was your second choice. Third choice is basically everything else. Uh, St. Patrick, who was not a Catholic, and I want to point that out, but who was actually an early Baptist, once again, uh, baptized in the wells of Ireland. Because uh, in the cities, they did not have running water or still water, and he baptized in wells. So that's just an aside. And that would be a poor third choice. The story of the Ethiopian official shows the pattern of conversion. The Ethiopian, a pagan, was called by God in his heart and in turn seeks him to the point of making a five-month journey to worship and find more in Jerusalem. He begins studying Scripture. He acquires Scripture, which is rare for that day, which gives him a desire to know more. A teacher comes alongside him to help him understand God's Word. The pagan responds and is baptized And what next? Okay, well, Scripture says no more about the Ethiopian official, the Ethiopian eunuch. Church tradition says a lot about him, and you know that I'm big on church history. It says that he went back to Ethiopia and started the Central African branch of Christianity, one of the oldest areas of Christianity known to the world today. They say that that is attributable to this Ethiopian official going back and sharing what he knew with the people in his country. So why wasn't reading scripture enough for faith to come to fruition in the Ethiopian? You know, we do, you know, in the five solas, it's scripture alone, you know, faith alone, all the alone, scripture alone. But scripture is not enough. Why is it necessary for Philip to come alongside him? And, you know, we don't know. Why do I preach? Okay? God says we're to preach the word. He says we're to go out and spread the word to make disciples of all the nations. Why? We believe in election. We believe that God has his people from the beginning from before the beginning of the world. That he has chosen his people and he knows who will he be. And yet he tells us to go out and preach the word. I can't tell you why God set it up that way. If I knew the things I don't understand about God, I, I'd be God. But, why are teachers necessary? Why preach? Why a missionary? Why did Jesus uh, give us the Great Commission? And I don't know the answer. Okay, Because, <laughs> it's the only reason I come, can come up with, uh, uh, the age-old parent answer, To a childish, why? Because I said so. Why? Why teach? Because as we just read, a pagan saying, how can I understand without a guide? And God uses us and He uses all of us to be that guide. Remember, Philip was an evangelist. He was not one of the apostles. He was an evangelist. He wasn't running a church. He was an evangelist. We're all evangelists in our own way. And God is calling each of us in our own way to be that teacher to a questioning person. Let's close in prayer.